0: Hi, welcome to our podcast, Three to Live By, where we work to find simple answers to life's dilemmas. I'm your host, Suzanne Benford, and my co-host, Greg, microphone dog, Maddox. Hello, hello. Today we're talking about alcohol and drugs. When have you crossed the line? It's a big topic.
1: Isn't it? Mm -hmm.
0: What's your experience in working with substance use issues?
1: For about a year, I ran an IOP at a community mental health center. We met uh, two hours, three days a week, people that had been in the prison system or jail system. So I did that for a while. It was a great learning experience. Then I actually worked at a 30-day inpatient for men residential treatment center for about a year did groups individual counseling that was uh, a really great experience too mm-hmm. what about you
0: my experience goes back to pretty much the beginning of my career i started out in an adolescent facility working in the girls dorm they these were girls who had teenage girls who had struggled with problematic substance use alcohol and drugs when I met you, actually, my position was substance abuse counselor. I was helping people who were living on the streets or in shelters get into treatment and get into recovery. Um, I've also been a clinical manager at an outpatient substance use facility. So it's been a thread through pretty much all of my career. It's I'm a trauma therapist now, and I got interested in trauma work from working in substance use because so many of the people I worked with struggled with traumatic experiences. Myself is, I I don't struggle with um, substance use issues other than sugar. So I actually don't drink alcohol because I do struggle. I have a donut use disorder, but <laughs> I, um, I, you know, it, it runs pretty strong in my family. I think it's probably true for lots of families that there's, are some substance use issues within the family. And it is, you know, that's something that we addressed in the outpatient program that I worked in is it affects the whole family. It changes the dynamics of the family. And that includes when, you know, maybe the person who's struggling with the use of the substance Gets in recovery, then that also affects the family because the dynamic has been around that problematic use. So it is um, really interesting to see people's journey through it. It is it's yes, it's pretty amazing to watch watch the the experience work.
1: It's sad, but it's inspiring too at times, isn't it?
0: It is, and there's such a stigma related to substance use disorders a lot of people still see it as a moral issue and it is actually a brain disorder you know like the the use of the substance affects your brain and so people still see it as this moral issue like you're a bad person or you have no control or you know all kinds of really obnoxious beliefs sorry if you're one of those who believes that but and that keeps people from seeking treatment or seeking help because they don't want to be seen as a bad or an immoral person so that is a lot of
1: I agree with what you're saying but Mm -hmm. I think it is debatable how much a uh, choice, discipline even morality can play a part in all aspects of our life, don't you think there is uh, there is a component of substance abuse that's related to that?
0: I think the morality or the values might be attached to the person, but not necessarily the substance use. I think that we tend to associate alcohol use disorders with people who are living on the streets and, you know, sleeping on park benches or sleeping in a shelter, that kind of thing. But it affects all socioeconomic classes. Um, it affects all races. It it affects both you, you genders. You stole one
1: of my maxims. You always do that.
0: <laughs> I can't help it. I can't help <laughs> it. I can just feel your maxims over there.
1: I know it. I we need mad. to start sharing again. <laughs> no, I like it better this way. It's more spontaneous, isn't it?
0: I do like it. I do like it. Um, so, yeah, I I actually, I don't think that the substance use itself is a moral issue. I think, you know, if you want to attach a moral issue, that goes with the individual and not necessarily the, the substance use.
1: Well, do you have the criteria for us?
0: Yeah. So the DSM, our handy handy dandy little (laughs) book that we use for um, diagnosing, it's called the Diagnostic Statistic Manual. And we are on version 5 TR, which is the revised vision. So there's 11 criteria for substance use disorders. Um, They're also classified as mild, moderate, or severe. So the 11 criteria are hazardous use. You've used the substance in ways that are dangerous to you um, or others. Maybe you've overdosed, um, drinking and driving, blacked out. Um, The second one is social or interpersonal use issues related to your use. So it's caused relationship problems, conflicts with others. Third one, neglected major roles. So failed to meet your responsibilities as a parent. You're being late to work. You're not doing your schoolwork. Um, You're not coming home at night because of your substance use. Another one is withdraw. When you stop using the substance, you experience withdrawal symptoms. That could be emotional withdrawal symptoms and physical withdrawal symptoms. Um, tolerance. Tolerance is needing to increase the amount that you use so that you get the same effect. Um, larger amounts for longer periods of time, meaning you have started to use more and more for longer periods of time. Maybe you thought you were going to just go for a couple of drinks and you ended up staying out all night, um, repeated attempts to control your use or quit. You've tried to cut back, or maybe you've tried to quit totally, but haven't been successful. Um, spending a lot of time using, or getting it, or thinking about it. So it's, you know, a lot of your time is kind of centered around when you're going to get to drink, how you're going to get the alcohol, how you're going to get the drugs, where you're going to go driving to different places, getting the money to do that, Um, physical or psychological problems related to it. It's led to physical physical health issues, maybe you've got liver damage, kidney damage, maybe it's caused some psychological issues like um, depression or anxiety. So that's uh, nine criteria. We've got two more here. Um, Activities given up. So maybe you missed your kid's baseball game because you went to go hang out at a bar, or you were too drunk to drive, so you ended up missing it. Um, and then the craving, the craving for whatever it is that you tend to use, whether that's alcohol or cocaine or heroin, pain pills, um, you just have a craving for it
1: that is very helpful. Thank you for that. Mm-hmm. And you look like you did it off the top of your head, too, didn't you?
0: I've done it a lot. So when I worked in the um, outpatient substance use, we used to go to different schools to present information to high schools. Really, we should be going in at middle school age because that's when a lot of kids are getting exposed to it. You want me to go first?
1: Why don't you start us off?
0: Okay. My first one is how much is it interfering with your functioning? Are you skipping things? Are you late to work? Are you having to call off of work? Have you gotten a DUI? Do you find that you're apologizing for things? So interference, that's that's my number one.
1: Right. That's If it's not interfering, then you're either in an early stage or it's not a problem, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Good. My number one is? We're all high risk to develop an addiction. You know, from my experience, I've seen all the ages, backgrounds, education levels, socioeconomic levels. You could never say that you would never become an addict. Now, do you agree with
0: that? Well, I think that's a complicated one, for sure. Addiction does not discriminate. It doesn't care how much your income is. It doesn't care what color your skin is. It doesn't care where you live. It, it just, it doesn't discriminate. Um, I do think that there are things that make you higher risk. Like there's a strong genetic component. If you have addiction in the family, that may be something to incorporate into your decision, whether you're ever going to drink or use drugs because you are at higher risk.
1: yeah, I'm sure there are higher risk people, but i think it's nice to just state that we're all mm-hmm. we are anyone can become an addict, you can be prime uh you can be prim and proper and a sixty something year old lady or man that never did anything, and you start drinking too many cocktails at night or beer, and next thing you know, you've become uh an alcoholic, so yeah. Mm-hmm got to be careful. It can happen to anyone. That's the message there, right?
0: Yeah. Yeah. I totally agree with that. All right. My number two, someone has said something to you. Now, this is something that gets people's juices going. They get defensive. You don't know what you're talking about. It was just this one time. But if your spouse or a close friend or a family member has said something to you, And it might sound something like, do you think you should slow down on the drinking? That's a sign that it may have become an issue. Because honestly, are those people out to get you? Or do you think they're actually concerned about you?
1: Yeah, that's a big red flag, isn't it? Mm -hmm. My number two is face up to what you'll lose. Mm. If you go down that path, you'll lose your family. You may lose your job. You may lose your home, you may wreck your finances, you basically become a slave to your addiction, and you may lose your life. I've seen a number of people with heroin addiction that left uh, rehab early, and the next thing you know, you hear that they died that night. Mm -hmm. So we all know it's an epidemic, so face up to what you'll lose.
0: The first part of your brain that is affected by substances is your decision making. So the second you take a drink, or you take a hit of weed, your decision making has then become impaired, even if you don't feel high or drunk or buzzed, even it has already begun to affect the decision making process, particularly if you struggle with addiction, it really impairs that decision making and so it's pretty fuzzy on whether you can make a solid decision once you've started using about what the consequence of that use is going to be
1: well it's interesting we're sort of coming at this from two different angles aren't we Mm -hmm. you know i'm as you know i'm always into character and morals and do the right thing Mm -hmm. And you're more what? Tell me what your approach is, more.
0: I don't think that those are necessarily moral issues. I have seen fine, upstanding, amazing, kind people get stuck in that cycle of problematic use.
1: Oh, I don't say you're a bad person, but I I do think that
0: uh, morals is a, well,
1: it's a big part of everything we do (laughs) so i'm not saying it it should be judgmental but it is part of what you need to think about when you make choices about anything in life Mm -hmm. taking a drink quitting a job cheating on someone that you know morals and thinking about the consequences don't you think that should be a big part of the equation?
0: Yeah, I think so. The part that I agree with is that consequential thinking, you know, so what are the consequences? If I do this right now, what are the consequences of that? So a lot of decisions that we consider immoral for whatever reason are usually impulsive decisions.
1: Yes. So here's my story. Like I said, I worked as a therapist at a 30-day men's inpatient residential treatment center. There's plenty of sad stories to choose from there, but there's plenty of inspiring stories, inspiring recovery. I've changed identifying circumstances to ensure confidentiality. One man, about 43 years old, was as sharp and as friendly a guy as you'd want to meet. He had already gone through the program three times in the last four years or so and even got a job with the facility as a house manager. But here he was one more time in relapse due to his alcohol addiction. He said things were starting to get healthy again in his life. He was visiting with his children again. He was back with his wife. He was getting out of debt. Uh, he had his record as from three DUIs. Yeah. But then he said he got lazy and lost his gratitude. He said he got a little bit bored and a little bit resentful that he that he couldn't enjoy a beer or, or 12 while he watched football like a lot of his friends. When he first relapsed, he even started sneaking crazy ways uh, behind his wife's back of using things like mouthwash, cough syrup, even hand sanitizers. Then he finally got into full-blown relapse and everything fell apart. Mm-hmm. Like they say in AA, you get stinking thinking. And it doesn't take long for you to start kidding yourself, sneaking drinks, rationalizing your actions, and boom, things fall apart again. But after two weeks back in rehab, he was humble, contrite, and level-headed again. He was looked up to by the men around him. They could tell he was authentic and real. The journey of every addict is different, but help is out there, sometimes hard to find, but well worth it to get your peace of mind and dignity back. Mm
0: -hmm. That's my story. Yeah, I like that story. It's incredible to see journeys of people who make the decision because it's difficult. It is completely life altering decision to stop drinking, to stop using, to stop, especially if that's something that you have used to help get you through something. It is such a challenge to completely change how you approach something.
1: But is it a decision? Weren't you saying it's not really a decision? It's
0: right. Addiction likes to survive. It wants to survive. And so there, are t- when I say it impairs the decision-making process, how many people who end up using again, after, I don't know, maybe five years sobriety, 10 years sobriety, 15 years sobriety, And they end up using again, and in their own mind, they're like, what was I thinking? Other people are like, what were you thinking? I think it takes a lot of courage to ask for help. Really, I think it takes a lot of courage to ask for help for anything, but I particularly, and maybe that's just because my, my own experience working in it. Okay, what is your number three? Number three. Drinking or using more than you intended. So you might have thought, you know, I'll go out. I'll just have a beer or two and you end up having 10 or staying out drinking till you black out.
1: That's straight from the books there, isn't it? It is. (laughs) is. (laughs) But it's important. Hey, keep it simple. Go with the facts. I'm a little worried about all this bourbon craze, you know.
0: Well, it's interesting. So there's, you know, like I said before, not everyone who drinks or smokes weed or, you know, tries something recreationally, not everyone has a problem. And we, we, I, you don't live here anymore, but I live in bourbon country. I mean, we give whole days off to go bet on horses and drink alcohol. Hello, Kentucky Derby. And the bourbon industry has exploded in the last, like, what, five, ten years? Something like that?
1: It's fun. It's festive. It's nerdy. It is cool. Mm -hmm. But you know what? It slowly takes down people. Uh it slowly takes down a percentage of the people that get into the bourbon. Okay, let's just guess fifty, sixty percent, seventy are going to get into it, and guess what? It's no big deal. Mm-hmm. But you know, ten, twenty, thirty percent are going to get into it, and they're going to slowly drink too much, where they're sort of bleary every night. They're relaxed, but guess what? They're getting bleary. They're not talking to their spouse as much. They're starting to drink a little bit more each month, so they can feel the same. It's a slippery slope. So yeah, um, it's cool, but it's, uh, it can, uh, it can cause problems. It can go, so- it can go south.
0: It sure can. What's your third one? Yeah. Tell me what your third one is.
1: My third maxim is, it's just not worth it. It's fun for a while until it's not fun. It relaxes you for a while until it doesn't. It's an escape for a while until it's not. Until you become a slave to your addiction. It's just not worth it. And you know, for some people, it's fun for six years, eight years, and then it goes south. Some people, after a year or two, they get a DUI and it starts going south.
0: I think that that is true for some people. I don't think it's true for everyone.
1: Yeah, I can't say that no one should ever drink or use marijuana or whatever because why do something if there's even a slight chance of it becoming a problem? Well, guess what? That's called life. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you wouldn't get married if there's a problem that you might get divorced. You, Yeah, so yeah, life is, is a series of uh, chances, right?
0: That's for sure. I never thought that at 50 years old I'm going to be sitting here talking about my donut use disorder. So... <laughs> I don't think that there are a lot of people out there who would imagine that alcohol would become a big issue for them. There's lots of help out there too. You know, if you, if you want to seek help, there is lots of, SAMHSA has its own national helpline that you can call 24 seven. If you really feel like you have an issue, you can call, they'll let you know whatever treatment is available in your area.
1: What other resources are there out there?
0: There's AA. That's a peer support. Um, AA for is stands for Alcoholics Anonymous. If you don't know that one already, it is a peer support program. Um, it's been around for a long time. Up and so there's heard... Celebrate
1: Recovery. Mm-hmm. It's a similar peer support, but it's more Christian uh, oriented. Mm-hmm. It's uh, a lot of churches. O- Offer Celebrate Recovery. Mm -hmm.
0: There's also Smart Recovery. Smart Recovery is facilitated by uh, a professional. All right.
1: Well, let's pick our top three.
0: All right. So our top three.
1: What's your favorite of yours?
0: I think I want to lead with someone has said something to you.
1: Okay. And I'll say face up to what you'll lose
0: What were your other two?
1: My other two are, we're all high risk to develop an addiction, and it's just not worth it. And yours?
0: Um, Interfering with your functioning. Um, And my other one is drinking or using more than you intended.
1: I think I like your first one. it's, It's really one of the baselines. If it's interfering with your life, you want to go with that one?
0: That's a good, solid indicator that you've kind of crossed the line with your your substance use.
1: Yeah. So do you mind giving us some final words of wisdom on when have you crossed the line, alcohol and drugs?
0: When you've crossed the line, it's okay to seek help. There is no shame in, in seeking help. I think it takes a lot of courage to ask someone to help you with that. Um, I think it takes a lot of support to work through problematic substance use. Go ahead and ask.
1: Definitely get you some help. You you can get your life back. We've seen so many people turn around their lives. Right.
0: Beautiful stories absolutely phenomenal stories. I have some really close friends who have come back from, I mean, just losing everything, absolutely losing everything. And their stories are so beautiful. I just, I find so much beauty in being able to recognize what's happening with you. And going ahead and and facing that that monster and you know you get the chance to to live it differently
1: you can do it out there mm-hmm. yep you really get can. one of these resources uh you know avoid uh the addiction if you can but if it happens no shame get you some help like anything and uh you can do it
0: mm. Thanks for listening to us today. We'd love to hear your feedback on this episode, past episodes. You can email us at 3 podcast at gmail.com. We're also on Facebook and Instagram. We'd love to hear from you. Until next time. Peace in. And peace out.